Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I am ho your host, Claire Bottini. And I'm your co-host, Ariel Frame. And we are here with Shannon Compton, your second year uh, PhD student in neuroscience. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks for being here. Yes, thanks for having me. So, Shannon, can you describe a bit uh, what is your research? Uh, so the focus of my PhD research is on video games and how um, video game content and uh, modality and exposure can have an impact on cognition or the way that people think and experience the world around them uh, in healthy populations. Shannon, you're living the dream. A lot of people want to study video games, me included. Uh, as a kid, I thought, you know, I want to go into video games. I didn't end up going into video games. I went into research, but mm -hmm. you combine the two. You have your cake and you're eating it. So why don't you tell us how are you going to use video games in your studies? Yeah, so uh, for my first project, we were looking at the impact of violent video games on empathy-related processes. Um, so we had participants come in and they played either a violent or nonviolent version of Grand Theft Auto V. Um, so it was a more fun study generally. Uh, and then they went into the scanner, so the MRI, and then we had them complete um, uh, action simulation task, which is a task that uh, correlates with emotional empathy. Um, so in my task specifically, what they did is they either watched videos of people um, pressing a button and they also pressed the button at the same time, or they were just told to press this button. So this task, uh, it activates something called the action simulation circuit in the brain. Uh, it's also sometimes referred to as the mirror neuron system. Uh, and activation of this system uh, is correlated with emotional empathy processes. So by doing this task, uh, we can kind of covertly measure emotional empathy. So by doing the task in person and doing the same in the game, you create an empathy link between yourself and the player. Is that what you mean? Oh, sorry, the task is kind of more removed. Um, it's not directly related to the game. It's just um, a, a, a task where you press a, a, an unrelated button just in the scanner. So you're watching a video of someone doing it and you either do it along with them or you just press it yourself. It's a kind of abstract task, uh, but the goal there is that uh, it's less obvious a measure of emotional empathy. Um, and we felt that this would reduce the amount of bias when participants are completing it. Can you put me in the mindset of a participant? Uh, what is it like to go through this process? What is an fMRI? What does it feel like to be in an fMRI and do your study? Right, so um, the MRI is like this large tube, <laughs> sort of. Uh, you've probably seen it on TV, medical shows. And it pretty much uh, uses magnets to polarize hydrogen molecules uh, in the water, in your, the blood, in your brain. And so in this way, it is an indirect measure of activation within the brain. Because when you are thinking and using specific parts of the brain, blood will go to those areas. And then using the MRI, we can see where 
that blood has gone. And this is a way that we can measure uh, uh, function and where your brain is, you know, being activated during specific tasks. So am I like, uh, like I'm a participant, I'm, li- I'm lying down in this tube Uh, and I'm playing Grand Theft Auto, I'm imagining, like, do I get a controller like you, like a normal controller from a, from a typical game or how do I play the game in the lying down in a tube? All right. So that was the original conceit of the study actually, where people would actually get to play the game uh, in the scanner. But since the scanner does use these very powerful magnets, we couldn't actually get a Xbox controller that was MRI compatible. We found a company that said that they could make one, but it ended up being too many buttons. Apparently the amount of buttons meant that we couldn't bring it into the scanner. So they actually have to play the games outside of the scanner. um, And then they go inside to do just the tasks and the buttons there, there's only four buttons. So that was an okay amount of buttons, but a whole controller was too much apparently. So when they're playing the game, they're not in the scanner, but then after you go and measure their behavior on a different task, that's going to tell you something about that person and you relate it back to what they did in the game. Correct. So since we had two groups, one that played the violent version and one that played the nonviolent version, uh, any difference we observed on this task, we would be able to say was a result of them playing the different games. And they play for a full hour before immediately going into the scanner. So it would be uh, measuring the acute effects of this game. uh, Just out of interest, did you choose Grand Theft Auto in like uh, response to the hype? Because I I remember, I mean, if anyone's interested in video games and the the idea that video games cause people to become violent themselves, there was a big deal when the first Grand Theft Auto came out. It was like the game that was pointed to that caused this. I mean, at the time, I think there wasn't any research to suggest it. It was just Puritans saying, I don't like that there's violence in this game, so I don't want my kid playing it. And therefore they look for a post-op reason to say that. But now we're you know, doing actual studies to find out what the cause and effect is here. And that's where your, your work comes in, my understanding. So was that your impetus to choose Grand Theft Auto or is there something about Grand Theft Auto that's really important for this study? Uh, no, yeah, it was, it was pretty much Grand Theft Auto is an extremely well-known game. It's well-known for being an extremely violent game uh, where, you know, you commit crimes. That's the point of the game. And um, you can run over pedestrians and abuse women. And it's, it's just a very graphic video game. And so we felt that uh, this would be kind of a very good measure of not only um, a violent game, but a popular violent game. This is a game a lot of people are actually playing out there. Um, So we thought it was a good measure to use for the study. Also, there are some mods available online where you, because it's so popular, so you can uh, make it non-violent, which is what we had to do for the study as well. So we had the violent version and then a non-violent version that they were able to play of it. Yeah, so that was my follow-up question. What the non-violent version look like? Yeah, so in the non-violent version, we, I mean, the game looks the same, but what we had them do instead of complete the missions where they have the guns and they go and kill people is uh, they can 
they compete in car races or jet ski races, or they fly airplanes. So they do some of the other tasks that are in the game uh, that are not violent. There's also tennis and golf and some sports types uh, games that they can play in there too. You know, out of interest, when you're describing the game here, I'm wondering, I mean, there's been a lot of Grand Theft Auto games uh, over the years, and uh, I don't know how people feel about it, but as you get the newer games, you get better graphics, and maybe if it's more graphic, better graphics, maybe makes it look more real and more visceral. Maybe that has an effect as well. Um, uh, which, which, which version of Grand Theft Auto is it, and does it make a difference? No, for sure. Uh, so we used Grand Theft Auto 5, which came out quite a few years ago, but it's actually still the most recent version of Grand Theft Auto that uh, Rockstar Games has put out. Uh, so thankfully for that, our study is still incredibly relevant in that term. Uh, the graphics are pretty good. And that is definitely something that we consider when conducting this sort of research. Um, because part of the thought here as to why violent video games uh, might impact processes like empathy or aggression is through the desensitization to distress cues. So by seeing um, someone bleeding or in pain uh, very often and actually not even just seeing it often, but kind of being rewarded for causing that to happen, it kind of desensitizes you to viewing that and uh, changes it from a negative to a neutral or maybe even a positive thing. So the thought there might be the better the graphics, the greater the, this effect would be. And I guess, um, you know, when you mentioned modality, I'm, inf I'm inferring that you're, you know, referring to uh, a 2D game where you see it and you're pressing buttons with your fingers and you're not actually physically doing actions that, that, that your character's doing versus like a, a virtual reality where you, where you might actually physically swing your arm to hit something. <laughs> um, does that make a difference either? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there hasn't been a lot of research into virtual reality gaming yet, uh, but that's something that I am interested in and would like to uh, look into with some of my future projects projects, because I do believe that that immersion would have a greater effect in general. And my next question is a bit related to your question. It's very different kind of game, some where you can play uh, from a third point of view, like uh, someone uh, on top of every everyone or everything, while one photo can be like first, uh, first person player. Yes. Does that change as well? How the player is impacted by what he see or what he does? How does that impact the emotion of a player? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would think so. Um, I'm not sure if there's been too much research into first person versus third person gaming. Uh, that's something that I would definitely like to look into. I think I have seen some, but I'm not sure if they're looking at violent research specifically. But yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting uh, consideration and something I think if it doesn't exist already is something we should look into for sure. Okay, I think we got a good idea about what 
the participants are playing, how they're playing it, and the different versions with violent versus nonviolent. And then they go in this tube, and then they're doing another task with less buttons because they you couldn't get the Xbox controller in there. Maybe one day, but for now you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so they were doing this task in there. Um, what are they doing in there? What's the task they're doing with the buttons, and what are you learning from that task? Okay, yeah. So the task is yeah a little abstract. So it's an action simulation task, um, and pretty much they have a couple conditions. One condition is called the imitate condition. So they just observe someone pressing a button and they also press the button at the same time. So they're imitating the person in the video. Uh, the other condition that we're interested in is the execute condition. So there they are just told to press the button themselves. And we're interested in the simulation related activity in the brain. So this is the difference between imitating an action and just simply executing it. So by subtracting the brain activation from the imitate condition, from that of the execute, uh, the only thing left over isn't the motor action, but that imitation um, process. So we refer to this as simulation related activity. And this activity has been correlated in previous studies with uh, emotional empathy task performance. So the more simulation related activity, um, the more people have expressed empathy towards images of people in distress or feeling happy. So you, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, you, you know, you, they ha you have them do these diff two different tasks uh, in, in the scanner uh, because you're not actually interested in the parts of the brain that are activated because you're pressing a button in general. You want to extract that button pressing part of the brain uh, activity and just say, hey, I don't care what part of the brain activates to tell you when you press buttons in general. Uh, so you can take that away by, by subtracting the, the task where they're not watching anyone do it. And the one, and then the one that they press because they see someone else doing it, that's like kind of mimicking or simulating is the word you use someone yeah. else. And now, now any activity above and beyond the press button activity, uh, is that kind of simulation activity and previous studies show that that relates to empathy. Well, I, I'm kind of interested in in how those studies were done. I mean, I know those weren't your studies, maybe it's a bit too much, but like, how did they know that? So simulation related activity and action simulation tasks, another way that they've been referred to is motor empathy. So this is, for example, also observed this kind of activity um, when you see someone smile, uh, people will often smile in response. So it's kind of like a mimicking and this is like a social process. Um, so because of that, they've looked at other kinds of uh, empathy processes. So looking at this motor empathy or action simulation and seeing if it correlates with other types of empathy. So like emotional empathy, where you are sharing in uh, people's feelings or cognitive empathy when you are trying to understand what's going on in their minds. Okay, and what did you find overall? Uh, right, so for 
my study, yeah, we were looking at the impact of uh, the violent video gameplay on this action simulation task, but also as a feature or function of trait empathy. Um, so we unfortunately did not find any difference between the violent and nonviolent group. Uh, so their, their simulation related activity was the same, uh, no matter whether they played the violent or nonviolent version of the game. Um, but we also measured uh, just correlationally their uh, past violent video game exposure over recent months. So that's more of a cumulative uh, measure. And when we looked at that, uh, we found that, so this cumulative exposure was inversely related to simulation related activity. And so this might suggest that cumulative violent video game exposure might be inversely related to uh, processes that are related to empathy. So we can't really make a comment on causation there uh, because this was a correlational part of the study, but we did look at some traits that are thought to predispose individuals to play violent video games. So like um, low levels of trait empathy or autism or anger, and we found no significant correlations there. So this suggests that there might be something unique about this inverse association uh, between cumulative violent video game exposure and this simulation related activity. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm almost like not that surprised uh, that you didn't, didn't see that much of an effect. An hour uh, isn't that long. I mean, if you've ever binged yeah. a game, I've spent a whole weekend playing for like eight, 10, 16 hours. I mean, <laughs> you could play many more than an hour at a time. So I mean, maybe maybe it, it, to see an acute effect, you would have to uh, you'd have to play for much longer. So, but I don't know how unfortunate that is. I mean, maybe it's a good thing that that people aren't that impacted, at least acutely, uh, to an hour of uh, super violent video games here and there, because a lot of kids are playing them, right? No, for sure, and that's um, that's exactly the kind of conclusion that we were drawing that maybe. Um, the acute effect was too small to observe after a single exposure, and maybe this is more built up over time. So that was something that we are considering. But again, in the literature, uh, there's like a very large debate as to whether violent video games can actually uh, impact things like empathy or aggression. Um, and so that's why another feature of this project was looking at trait differences. So we were measuring trait levels of empathy, specifically something called cold heartedness, which is uh, an individual's lack of remorse or guilt or regard for another person's feelings. So our original uh, hypothesis was that maybe high levels of trait cold heartedness would predispose individuals to be more susceptible to the purported negative effects of violent video gaming. So we thought, okay, maybe there's this trait that maybe violent video games do, don't affect everyone, but maybe if they're high in this trait, maybe that would be the reason uh, why some people seem to be more affected by violent games but we did not find that in our results. <laughs> so maybe it's a different trait, other things to consider. How do you even measure cold heartedness? <laughs> so we measured it through a questionnaire. I, we used the 
uh, a questionnaire called the PPI. So it was the psychopathy inventory. Um, and it had one of the subscales of being cold heartedness. So, so that, uh, that's like questions that, that people are asked and they put, they put on a scale, like their answer to each question and then you score them based on those answers. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm kind of wondering why you, why you thought that the, they'd be the cold heartedness would mean they would more be more predisposed. I'm thinking if they are cold hearted, then that means they, look at the video game and they, they're like, I don't care what happened in that video game. I'm not going to be impacted by it at all. Whereas someone who's super empathetic, they're going to look at what happens at the video game and it's going to really touch them a lot. I might've had the, my, my original hypothesis might've been the opposite. Had it, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know where the question is in that, but what, what would you, did you think of that, that uh, interpretation? Yeah, so the rationale behind why people high in cold heartedness might have uh, had this effect more, the more negative effect is because maybe someone very empathetic when they're playing the, this violent game where they have to hurt people, uh, they see the people bleeding or hear them screaming and then they, they have a negative reaction to that. So it might push them to feel even more empathetic whereas someone high on cold heartedness they're like, oh, I just got another kill. Uh, this person bleeding is, is good for me because now I am further along in the game. And then in that way, it might make them less empathetic afterwards. So that was the rationale there. Mm -hmm. Could it be possible that people that are more cold hardedness have a tendency to play more those kind of violent game, not because those violent game create cold hardedness, but because you are naturally coordinate that they are kind of stimulated by those kind of games so for sure yeah my question is not very well formulated but maybe you already have an answer for that no yeah I, I understand so uh is it possible that these people high on cold heartedness are just more interested in violent video games and we did think of that uh so that when we collected information on their past violent video game exposure uh, we compared them with cold heartedness and we found no significant correlation there, uh, which was maybe a little surprising, but also not too much. Um, I have a lot of gamers in my life and they like to play these violent games and uh, I don't think they're particularly high on the cold heartedness scale either. Um, yeah, so it seems that video games just appeal to a large range of people. I think that's a good uh, transition to asking more about you and your relationship to video games. It, it makes me wonder um, how much do you play Grand Theft Auto or video games in general? Um, I'm what they would call a casual gamer. <laughs> so I have played Grand Theft Auto 5 before. I played it before I did this study, um, but I just kind of in general, don't go towards the violent games like um, uh, Call of Duty or something like that. I, I'm more into uh, the kind of casual games like um, Stardew Valley or Animal Crossing. So I play those about a couple of hours each week or more usually in large spurts where I'll play like 10 hours a day for two weeks and then not touch it again for a very long time. <laughs> So obviously you are interested in video games in general, but it's not like these Grand Theft Auto was your favorite game and therefore you're like, I have to get to the bottom of this. 
Yeah, no, not quite. But uh, my older brother, he's very much a gamer. Um, he's probably someone that plays uh, over 20 hours a week and has done that uh, since we were young. Uh, and he's actually now a Twitch streamer. So he plays video games online and people watch him play. Um, so yeah, video games are yeah, very prevalent in my life growing up and currently. <laughs> How do you see yourself transitioning between the regular game as we have it now versus uh, the virtual uh, yeah, kind of online gaming where you have to play with a with your character so once again the question is not very well formulated i would try to transition versus to your future studies and as a player do you think it will will we completely transition as well to another kind of gaming system or uh, we will have still both because both are interesting per se it's kind of yeah. a dual question <laughs> no yeah um so Virtual reality gaming is very interesting. I've been fortunate enough to play it a couple of times, um, but I just don't see it ever totally replacing traditional gaming. Um, it's a lot of fun and the immersion can be quite exciting, but for people that are like me who maybe just want to relax and play video games, uh, it's much easier just to press a button that tills the land for you versus having to physically act it out yourself. Um, so I think both will have a place, um, but I don't think traditional gaming will ever completely be taken over. I could be wrong, but. <laughs> I guess, you know, I was actually really surprised when I first played VR. I was like, never going to play virtual reality games and get a headset cost so much money i have to mm -hmm. move like i'm at home to relax i want to like get up and be working you know i didn't i was reluctant to ever play even we i'm like why do i have to move i don't want to oh yeah i want to sit still uh but uh when i put it on i, I it was in it it was in a, an airport once i put on the set and they were like try it out i was blown away actually as like they've had this me in this game where you were flying uh in like a, a ship and and when you like turned the ship and flipped you upside down i felt like i was like turning upside down it was really really uh really weird feeling <laughs> yeah so i don't know <laughs> what did yes. you think of the vr games when you played them yeah it's exciting so i played two one which was um just uh like a music game and then you had to hit the notes and that was fun but the one that really got it for me, I think it was called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Pretty much um, the person in the game has this bomb that they need to uh, diffuse. And then there are the people not playing uh, have the instructions on how you're supposed to diffuse it. So if you're in virtual reality, you're holding this bomb and people are shouting instructions on you how to uh, diffuse it and then if you don't do it in time it explodes and just the stress of playing that in virtual reality even though you know it's fake is is just overwhelming <laughs> oh god uh, yeah I, I mean that feels like it's going to be one of those good uh uh studies to actually induce stress like the studies where they they make you do a public speaking thing and they they, they rig it so all the judges like are super critical of you and this this is like classic way to like make people super stressed and yeah. get their cortisol up this sounds like an even better way 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll recommend it. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we're just getting almost to the end here. Uh, what's your, um, your plans, uh, for future studies, uh, in this video game realm and, and beyond? Yeah. So, uh, moving forward. Yeah. I do want to move into virtual reality gaming. So specifically, I'm interested in looking at how playing a virtual reality game uh, affects our perception of reality. So does it affect the way we perceive time or our own bodies? Does it affect our memories or our sense of agency? So um, we've just got our, our headset in the lab. It just came in. So I will hopefully be starting to run that study in the new year. Yeah, that seems very exciting. Looking forward to see your result. Yeah, thanks. So most of your research right now links the impact of long-term long gaming or long-term violent game uh, with a decrease in empathy, but could it be possible that gaming may also bring positive to the, uh, to the player? Okay, so a lot of the literature and research focuses on the negative effects of video gaming. So how uh, video gaming might cause aggression or uh, negatively impact social functioning. But what I think is very interesting is that some new research is coming out looking at the potential positive effects of video gaming. So by playing pro-social games, things like, uh, you know, Stardew Valley, <laughs> how this actually might help with our social functioning or some real world interactive games like Pokemon Go, uh, how this can improve social connectedness or how people are actually forming real significant relationships with people they met online through video games. So while there's a lot of focus on the negative, I think it's also important to think of how video games can positively affect society as well. There just might need to be some sort of balance. Okay, so we are just about out of time. So thank you so much, Shannon, for coming to GradCast with us and talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it has been a pleasure. So it has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of a Society of Graduate, graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Claire Bottini, and my co-host was Ariel Frame. We've been speaking with Shannon Compton, and this episode was produced by Ariel Frame. If you would like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find us all of episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcasts like Podbeam, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts uh, have been uploaded on YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you again for listening to us and have a great night.